0: to all of you who are gathered here with us today on this lovely spring afternoon, and we welcome to all who are also joining us online as well. Uh, Consistory has a few announcements. There's a Consistory meeting this Wednesday. Uh, It was also sent out an email, but there is a seniors' luncheon at Stepping Stones. It was supposed to be this week, but it has been moved to May 2nd. That would be next week, and I think there's more information in that email as well. As well, you also are reminded you have one more week to give feedback on the liturgy document, and there's more directions about how to do that as well. Um, Today, our call to worship comes from Psalm 1. I think there's a bit of a connection to our sermon as well, so I chose Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, in all he does he prospers, but the wicked are not so. They are all like chaff that wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Welcome, Pastor Tim, back to our pulpit, and we look forward to hearing your word that you bring.
1: Good afternoon. It's such a privilege that we have to be together again uh, to worship our awesome, our faithful, our holy God together. Uh, Please stand uh, for our confession of dependence. I had my own call to worship picked, but... Anthony's was good too, so we'll proceed to the confession of dependence, because as we come together to worship our holy and wonderful God together, we come only with humility, and so we come confessing our dependence. Congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In anticipation of our sermon, uh, let's sing together a song praising our God who causes his people to grow uh, from Psalm 92, stanzas 1, 6, and 7. Let's turn together to God's law that he gave to the Israelites, his people, when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. we we'll read this word together, as we do each week again, to remind us of our God's holy nature and our own sinful nature, to remind us of our desperate need for a Savior, Jesus Christ, to make us worthy before this perfect God. God's law, as found in Exodus chapter 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's sing together in response to God's law about God's gracious forgiveness. I will sing about that from Psalm 65, stanzas 2 and 6. come before the Lord in prayer, and we'll ask him for a blessing on our worship service this afternoon. Wonderful God and Heavenly Father, Lord, it's such a privilege to be able to come to you, to come to you in worship, and to come to you in prayer. Lord, as we reflect on your nature, as we see it in creation, as we see it in your word, as we see it in your law, Lord, we're just astounded That you have chosen us to be your people. That you're willing to forgive us. That you're willing, willing to blot out our trespasses. That you're willing to count us holy with your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for sending your Son to follow each of these commandments that we just read perfectly. And thank you that in Him we have perfect forgiveness, perfect payment for all of our sins and all of our misdeeds. Lord, please help us come to Christ. Uh, today and each day again, for a fresh grace, for fresh forgiveness, but also for fresh equipping. Lord, as we open your word now together, Lord, equip us to hear it and to understand it. And understanding it, make us to really believe it with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Lord, we know that we can't change or transform or make ourselves grow. But Lord, you can and you do and you promise to work in us by your word and spirit to give us growth. We ask that you will work powerfully in each of our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray these things. Amen. So our scripture reading for this afternoon is from the second half of Ephesians chapter 4. If you were here last week in the afternoon, you might remember that we started with the first part of Ephesians 4. Today we'll be going on to the second part of Ephesians 4, which is particularly relevant for... Uh, the ordination of elders and deacons. In preparation for our sermon on that passage, we'll now read the second half of Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. There we read about our new life in Christ. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God. And true righteousness and holiness. Therefore having put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor tenderhearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you in response to our reading let's sing together from psalm 68 which we'll just see in a moment is applied directly to jesus christ in our text for this afternoon psalm 68 stands as 3 and 7 <laughs> look together to our text for this afternoon, which is Ephesians 4, starting at verse 7. If you don't mind, I'd like to start reading from verse 1 again, and uh, it's just so that we can see so clearly the contrast that Paul is making here. As you'll see, uh, our text from last week, verses 1 to 6, Paul's talking about all, all, and one, 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 over and over again. But then you get to verse 7, and there's a switch, and that's what we'll be focusing on Today where Paul goes from talking about all of us as one, what we have in common, what we have all together, to talking about each one of us, what we have in particular. So our text is 7 to 16, but we'll start our reading at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So far, our reading of our text for this afternoon. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you would agree that one of the most beautiful things, one of the most amazing and rewarding joys in life is watching little kids start to grow up. It's so wonderful to watch our our kids, to watch grandkids, nephews and nieces and students start to learn and to discover and explore new things, watching them be molded and, and changed, And you can just watch them grow up. And that's true for kids, but not just for kids, of course. It can be exciting watching anyone just start to grow. Uh, We can watch friends, family members, uh, your spouse, even yourself. We can see how we have just so many tasks, so many obligations, so many gifts. And we start to grow and develop and improve in these roles and we can just be so thankful as we see growth in, in parents and in friends and employees and employers. And most of all, as we see growth in each of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage is all about. That last week, though we didn't use the term, uh, we heard a little bit about being born again, so to speak. Uh, now that Christ has uh, done what we read uh, or what uh, we summarized... In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we, all who believe in Christ, were born anew. We start life over, afresh, a new spiritual life in Christ. And as Peter tells us in his epistle, when we start off the spiritual life, we're like little newborn babies. He tells us to crave pure spiritual milk that we might begin to grow. And last week we heard about our call to learn to walk like Christ. Begin to learn how to walk in Christ's footsteps. And this week we'll see that we're called from there, not just to try and begin to walk, but we're called to grow up. That is, we're called to keep on trying to learn and grow in the knowledge of Christ. As we ourselves grow up into Christ. And we'll explore this call to grow up in three parts. First, we'll see the giver of growth. Secondly, the gifts of growth. And thirdly, the goal of growth. So first, the giver of growth. Uh, I wonder if in your life you've ever had someone to tell you you to grow up. Some people have heard it quite a lot. I imagine all of us have heard it, at least sometimes. I was speaking with one of my friends this past week, and he mentioned that uh, when he was a teenager, very often... His parents and others told him to grow up. He has a lot of memories of that phrase. And they're not always very good memories. You can imagine how those words could be hurtful if they come in a harsh way, a harsh way from a, a parent or a teacher or even a friend, grow up. But the encouragement behind it is actually a good one. It's a healthy one, or it could be. Because imagine uh, what kind of a parent or a teacher or even a friend you would have if they didn't care at all if you grew up, if you improved, if you were growing, if you were starting to to flourish in your callings, in your tasks, in your skills. Some of the greatest blessings that we can have in our lives, some of the greatest blessings I have in my life is when people who were a whole lot smarter than me, a whole lot wiser than me, a whole lot more experienced than me, We're willing to put up with me for a little while and come alongside me and help me to grow up. Sometimes that's, well, all the time, that's really what we need. People who are just willing to come take you under their wing and commit themselves to working with you and seeing you grow. And that's actually what we really heavily rely on in seminary. As we're learning how to be ministers, we need experienced ministers to just take mercy on us. To have us over for an internship and put up as we bumble through writing sermons and doing visits and all these things. The congregation has to put up with us too because we make a lot of mistakes. But that is by God's grace how we begin to grow. And it's a beautiful thing uh, in, in church, not just in seminary, but when there are older couples who are willing to just come alongside and mentor younger couples older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And they come along and they offer guidance and advice and support and help. uh, Not with arrogance or with pride, but just selflessly. Just out of love and compassion, with genuine care. And brothers and sisters, I hope we all can find people like this to help us to, to grow up. But the good news that we see in this passage is that we all do have at least one person on our side in our spiritual walk. One person committed to helping us grow. And it's the best person. It's Jesus Christ. We have our gracious older brother, Jesus, who leads us and shows us and teaches us how we can stay not just spiritual infants, not just children, but we can begin to grow up into our calling. We have Jesus Christ on our side. And in this passage, Paul speaks of Jesus not just as an older brother, not just as a teacher, but he references Jesus as our great conquering king. We sang about that from Psalm 68 as well. uh, Paul explains earlier in Ephesians that Jesus is the one who looked down on us when we were helpless, in Ephesians chapter 2. He describes each and every one of us as being apart from Christ, children of wrath, But yet Jesus saw us when we were children of wrath. And as we read in verse 9 of our text, he descended for us. He came to redeem us, to identify with us and instruct us and save us. And as we heard earlier, those who believe in Jesus Christ were born again. We're born from above. We have a new life and a new calling. And so just as we were saved by grace, Jesus continues to pour out grace. We're not just saved by grace, but Jesus helps us to continue to grow by grace. Again, Paul mentions with reference to Psalm 68, Jesus, our brother and our friend, when he rose from the dead, he then rose into heaven as a great conquering king. And Paul tells us, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And the Ephesians, they would have been able to tell you exactly what that meant. We're not too familiar with it. But the Ephesians would have been able to picture a victorious great Roman army that had just gone out to war, conquered their enemies, and now were walking back with their captive enemies behind them and just with all the spoils of war. And here we get a picture of Jesus Christ returning to heaven after descending to earth, with all of his conquered forces behind him. And we need to realize what that means. Jesus, our victorious king, ascends to heaven, and the picture we get is of the devil behind him, conquered. All the spiritual powers raising up against Christ are defeated. That includes us, in a sense, who we used to be, our sinful natures that we struggle against all the time, defeated once and for all by Christ. Christ has them in tow behind them. Our sin defeated. Our guilt crushed. And Christ ascends into heaven with his enemies in tow. And there we're pictured as liberated people, freed captives, redeemed people, cheering on this great, powerful king. This king with power over sin, power over the devil, Power over all the demons. We have this picture of Christ saving us. Freeing us. And then what does this victorious king do? He gives us grace unto eternal life. And that's amazing. And that's often where we get stuck. We think of Christians as being redeemed now and then having future salvation. But we forget what's going on right now. But here Paul talks about more grace that Jesus pours out, this victorious king. It says that Jesus led a host of captives, like we said, and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus freed us and he saved us, and then he poured out his gifts, the spoil of war. He didn't keep them himself, but he gave them to each and every one of us. In verse 7, Paul says, grace was given to each one of us, And that's talking about you and talking about me. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So often when we think of God's grace, we think of God's saving grace. But here, Paul is focused on our day-to-day lives, focused on God's, on Jesus Christ's equipping grace. The grace here isn't just saving us. It's our great king, the king Jesus Christ, the same one that came down to earth, one that Paul could picture revealed himself to him, the one that others had seen, this crucified Savior coming to us with gifts. Grace, not just for tomorrow, grace for today. He's equipping each and every one of his followers that all of us can grow, and that all of us can work to help everyone else grow. And Paul gives himself as an example of this uh, earlier in the book of Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 2, it's been grace that we've been saved, And then in Ephesians 3, Paul says, it's by grace that he's been called and equipped by Jesus Christ, that Paul has been called and equipped to grow and to help others grow. Pay attention to the words of Ephesians 3, verse 8 with me. To me, Paul says, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul attributes not just his salvation, but all of his life, all of his work to Jesus Christ. It's a gift of grace that Paul's been recruited into Christ's army, that he can serve for Christ. And we read elsewhere that Paul attributes all of his growth in himself and in others all around him, those who hear him, He attributes all of the growth growth to Christ alone. Christ is the one equipping, giving gifts, causing us, causing others to grow. He's the one who brought us to new life, not to leave us as helpless spiritual babies, but to nourish us by the gospel and help us to grow. And Paul reflects on this and he's amazed, but not just by Jesus' saving grace, but his equipping grace, that this conquering king saved him and now poured out all of his gifts on Paul. So that Paul was called to his task and uh, Paul was blessed in his task. And Paul, this great man, think about how gifted Paul was. Think of how blessed his ministry was. Now Paul says that God, that Jesus Christ has given this grace to each of us. What a privilege that Paul would lump us in with him as ones that Christ is equipping for work in his kingdom. Paul is recognizing that there are all kinds of gifts. Paul was a gifted uh, man. His ministry was blessed, though he says that he wasn't the greatest speaker or anything like that. He was given the opportunity and the skills to go and preach to many people, to reason with them, to have them converted. But he realizes that not everyone, not any of us, are called to be Paul. Paul was called to be Paul and you're called to be you and I'm called to be me. And Paul recognizes there are all kinds of gifts and Jesus has given grace. He's given gifts to each one. And that's just a wonderful privilege as over the last few months I've been able to get to know you guys a little bit in this congregation and see that it's true. God's not lying. Jesus isn't lying. He's given each of you so many gifts Some of you have such a gift of being kind, so much kinder than me. Some are are so smart. Some are so naturally leaders. Some are natural caretakers, natural comforters, natural speakers or teachers. There are some people blessed with taking care of audiovisual equipment, and I'm not. I don't know anything about it. Neither did Paul, by the way. There are different gifts that Christ gives to each one of us, and they're crucial What a blessing that Jesus pours out these gifts, not just on some people, not just Paul to be our hero. He comes to each one of us, and he gives you a gift. Not just the gift of salvation, but he gives you the grace of equipping you for your specific task in life, your specific calling in this church. And we can start to look around and thank and praise Jesus Christ for all of these gifts. Imagine the predicament would be without uh, having all of these different blessings from Jesus Christ. Where would we be without his equipping grace each day? Whenever there's a need in the congregation, it seems Christ raises up someone to fill that need. Not always the same people, praise God, but different people. They step up and they work for Christ. And this is such wonderful news. Because often we can look down on ourselves and our own gifts, can't we? We can question whether we have any gifts at all. But here we read about our great older brother, our great friend, our great conquering king. He's the one who saves us, and now he says that he's equipping us, that he's got gifts, and he's not stingy. He's happy to pour them out upon each one of us. He knows our weakness and our need. And as parents, as office bearers, as students, Just as Christians, when we feel weak or tired or insufficient, we can go back to this generous conquering king for more grace. Not just his saving grace, not just the forgiveness of sins, though do go to him for that, of course. But go to him for equipping grace in times of need. Jesus knows your needs better than you know them. He knows my needs better than I know them. He knows this church's needs better than we know them. Let's go to our risen king and ask him to show us these needs and to equip people to fill the needs. Thankfully, we have this great conquering king who pours out countless gifts, so many gifts to help us not remain immature, not remain needy, but to help us to grow. And here in our text, Paul zeroes in on just a few gifts in particular that Christ has given. Let's consider our second point, the gifts for growth. So keep this picture in the back of your mind of this great, wealthy, victorious, humble, caring, personal king. Greater than any earthly king. Who's taken a special interest in you. And a special interest in me and my spiritual life as well. And he saves you and now he's committed to equipping you. to Equipping each of us, making us to grow up. And how does he do it? We see in verse 11 of our text. Christ gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Christ gave apostles and prophets and teachers. In other words, Christ gives church leaders to help equip us, to help fill the needs, to help make us grow. The first church leaders that Paul mentions are prophets and apostles. These are the foundational church leaders. You might recognize these are the church leaders that Christ used to give us his inspired and inerrant word. He gives us the gospel to make us grow. And how does Christ give us the gospel to make us grow? Well, Paul tells us in the Ephesians that the apostles and the prophets, they're they're teaching about Christ. That's the foundation of the church that we build up on. We need to remember Christ, this this gracious King. He's the one building up the church. He tells us he's defending it and preserving it and increasing it. He's storming the gates of hell and he will conquer. But we see so clearly that he uses who to do it. Basically, regular guys, equipped with his Holy Spirit. He uses apostles like Paul and he uses prophets throughout the Old Testament. In particular, it's just so beautiful when you read the Bible and you get a familiar with these books, isn't it? When you read books like Mark and Luke and John and the epistles like First and Second Peter, that you can start to see a little bit of the personality of the writers. It's because Christ uses people, real, real people. We're too from the Bible; we often don't think of them as real people, but that's what they were. Christ chose them. He he filled them with his Holy Spirit, and he had them write down his perfect word for us. And Christ didn't stop after giving us his word through the apostles and prophets. He gave us more, more church leaders, people to study and teach and apply the word. That's where Paul goes next. He mentions the evangelists and pastors and teachers. And Christ says that these are gifts for you. People to study the word, people to preach the word, people to help you study his word, to help you to understand it. Don't let the the evangelists and pastors and teachers do all the studying themselves. The, The goal is to help you to understand it, to help you to study it, to help you grow up in Christ through his perfect word. Christ has given us his uh, gospel message to help us mature and flourish, to equip us for every good work we read elsewhere. So Christ has a vision of growth and service for each one of his dearly loved saints. So he's given us each gifts. he's given us each his word. He calls us each parts of his body. And that text makes this so clear. Because we read together in verse 12, what is the purpose of church leadership? Christ gives and he equips certain leaders He always has, and he always will. And why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, we read. We need to think for a second. Who does the ministry in the church? I'm sure many of you have heard this text before, and you are familiar with what it says. But we need to be reminded. We need to have this readjust our priorities and our thoughts. Because so easily, when we think of the ministry of the church, we can think... It's the minister who does the ministry of the church. It's the elders and deacons. They're involved in the ministry of the church. Uh, the ministry, it just means to attend to someone's needs. But when someone has needs that need to be attended to, whose job is it? Often we think it's the deacons or, or the elders or, or the pastor. If someone needs to be served or comforted or encouraged or admonished, then that's the, the job of one of the office bearers. And absolutely. The office bearers do share in that task. Uh, a very important part of it. They have an important role to do in fulfilling the needs in the congregation. But the office bearers don't do all of it. They couldn't do all of it. How could just a few men meet every need in the congregation? They can't. But Christ can meet every need. And how he's chosen to do it is not just through the office bearers, but through the saints. He uses the, the uh, office bearers To equip, that is, to train up the saints, all of us, for the work of ministry. Every one of us is called to service in Christ's kingdom. And it doesn't matter how young we are, or how old we are, or how strong or weak we are. We're called to serve, and Christ himself gives leaders to equip us so we might serve. And they equip through preaching, through home visits, through pastoral visits... They're equipped with uh, financial and spiritual needs that they meet. But none of us is called back to sit and just receive these things. We're called to be mended and equipped by the leaders and then ourselves to go out and serve others. We read the same message from Paul again in 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts. I listed a lot of them earlier. But the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service that's the same word for ministry here. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So I've been called to ministry in one sense, and the elders and the deacons that are about to be ordained, they've been called to ministry in another sense. And you too, Every church member here, you've been called to the ministry, in a third sense. We've all been called to serve and to be served. We're all called and equipped by Christ to seek out those with needs and attend those needs however we can, and if we can't, pass them on to someone else that Christ has given to fill those needs. We all have an important part to play. And one commentator uses a wonderful illustration from a movie to get this point across. He says, imagine a high school music teacher. And this music teacher has always had big dreams, has always had aspirations of being a great composer, of leading an orchestra to play his own beautiful song. But this music teacher, he pours out his life as a teacher. He teaches many students to love music. He teaches them to read music and teaches them to play music. Some he teaches guitar, some piano, others drum or flute or violin, and so on. But eventually, though, the music department's funding is cut, and this teacher is forced to retire. And so as he's leaving the school for the final time after his retirement party, seemingly having just failed in his dream, he starts to hear music coming from the auditorium. He went to the auditorium, and there all of his former students were playing for him. They, after they finished their song, they rose and they cheered for him and they thanked him. They said, sir, you didn't fail. We are your great composition. And this is such a great analogy because this is exactly what Jesus is doing with us. Though, of course, unlike this music teacher, Christ knows exactly what he's been doing. He's known from the very start what his plan was. Christ is equipping each of us. He knows your part in his mind. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do. He knows my part beforehand too, even when we don't. And throughout our lives, he's been teaching us and equipping us to do our part and to do it beautifully. And sometimes we don't get it because we're just one little instrument, one little player in a great orchestra, Christ is using his word to equip us, his spirit to equip us, the office bearers to equip us, and other believers to equip us, to make sure that we grow, each to serve, each to play our part beautifully. And this picture of an orchestra, I don't know about you, but it really resonates with me. I think it's beautiful, in part because, picture an orchestra in your mind. In an orchestra, there are some people who are violinists, there are some who are pianists or organists. But some people aren't those things. There are some people maybe on cymbals. Or some with a tambourine. Or some maybe just with a triangle. I like that image. Because the truth is, God pours out gifts generously on each of every one of us. And none of us needs to do everything. None of us is called to be the hero of the church, filling all the needs. We're just called to do our part. And Maybe it's a small part. Maybe it's the triangle. No offense to anyone who plays triangle here. I'm sure that it's a major gift as well. <clears throat> but Christ is the one who is equipping each of us for service. He's given us tasks, and we need all of us together for this orchestra to sound beautiful. And so we're called not to look at what other people are doing, how they're serving, how we can be more like them. We're called to take up our instrument and serve. Serve to the best of our ability. To make sure to keep practicing, to keep learning, to keep going to Jesus Christ, to bless us with gifts to serve. Because we're never going to arrive. We'll need to keep on growing. There's always more work to do. And we can see that so clearly when we consider our final point, the goal of growth. Often when we talk about spiritual gifts, there's a danger There's a danger that we get very self-centered. We look at ourselves and we look around at one another and we see where we're at and where others are at and make lots of comparisons. But what this text, the end of this text makes very clear is that we shouldn't be looking too much at one another and we actually shouldn't even be looking too much at ourselves. There's somewhere else that we should be looking. Notice what Paul says in verse 13 of our text. He says in verse 13... That Christ is equipping the uh, saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And what does mature manhood in the church look like? Well, he tells us, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children of, Tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Notice what Paul says here. We're seeking to attain to the measure and the stature, to the measure of Jesus Christ. And the goal of this growth into maturity is that we may no longer be children. And I wonder when we read that, if you hear Paul's self-assessment hidden in those words. Paul says that we're seeking to grow into maturity so that we may no longer be kids. We. Paul includes himself in that statement. Paul the apostle. Paul the one who wrote almost half the books of the New Testament. Paul who was a great, well-learned Pharisee before he converted to Christ. Paul who was the self-proclaimed hardest-working apostle after Christ chose him. He worked hard for Jesus Christ and he suffered hard for Jesus Christ. He planted many churches, including this one in Ephesus. And here Paul says with us, we need to grow up so that we are no longer children. And the word here for child, it's the word for a young child, no more than three or four years old. How can that be, that Paul would call himself such a little child, Well, I like how H.B. Charles says it. Comparison is the favorite indoor sport of the church. Some struggle with pride as they compare themselves to those less mature. Others struggle with discouragement as they compare themselves to those who are more mature. But Christ is the standard. He's the one we measure ourselves up against. And that is the key here. That's how Paul can look at each and every one of us. That's how Paul can look at himself and say he's got a long way to go. That he is a little child. The standard isn't other people, not even other believers, not even other apostles for Paul. The standard is Jesus Christ himself. On the one hand, what a challenge to each and every one of us. To think of Christ, think of his humility, think of his holiness, think of his knowledge And to look and strive towards him for spiritual maturity. Uh, And what a call to growth this also is. But on the other hand, what a relief it is. Because as people, we can struggle greatly as soon as we start looking around at others, can't we? We look at other people and we always see someone smarter. We always see someone who's a better speaker, someone who's a better dad, someone who's a better friend. That can lead to discouragement. But as we look to Jesus Christ, we see how far we all fall. And we also see where our help is, where our forgiveness is, where our equipping comes from. Here we're called to stop looking to others and look to Christ as the standard. Christ, the one who promises, I've given you grace. I know the gifts I've given to you. I've given you saving and equipping grace. And we can trust in him to help us grow. And so as moms and dads and friends and teachers and pastors and elders and just Christians, we can struggle as we look at others so much better and smarter. They've got all these gifts that we wish they had. But instead, we're called to look to Jesus Christ, the one who gives the gifts, who generously gives more gifts, who teaches us to use our gifts. In this way, too, we can never get arrogant looking at others. That wasn't a risk for Paul either. He kept looking to Christ and saw that he hadn't arrived, that he too had a long way to go in growing up into spiritual maturity. In Christ we see that we have a teacher, an instructor, we have an older brother, we have a mentor, so to speak. Someone committed to seeing us grow. But more than that, we have a great, generous, ruling Savior, committed to saving us and covering covering our weakness. And it's his strength that is made perfect in our weakness. He's changing us in ever-increasing measure into his likeness. And if we look at verse 15, then we can start to see how we can begin to grow up to this standard of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Very often, maybe you've noticed, it's very easy to be either truthful or loving in a situation. Have you ever experienced that? Truthful and loving, it can be pretty easy. But as one editor said, love without truth is flattery, and truth without love is brutality. We can speak the truth to make ourselves feel good and make others look bad. We can speak in love to make friends But here we're called to grow, hearing and speaking the truth in love, not the truth or love separate. And as Tim Keller explains on this verse, that is the gospel message. Paul uses this term truth to refer to Jesus Christ and the good news of salvation in him. And we need to realize that speaking the truth in love is exactly what Jesus came to do with us. Consider for a moment the hard, the even brutal truth that Jesus Christ preached about you and preached about me. Jesus Christ taught that we are filthy from the inside out, that we're sinful, that we're far from God on our own, that no one but the Son of God himself can save us from our shame and from the judgment we deserve. And that truth on its own is brutal, isn't it? But Christ didn't just preach the truth. He, he taught us the truth in love. He showed us the truth in love. He told us the truth of our sinful condition to bring us to repentance. Because the truth in love is that, while well, only God could save us, God was very pleased to save us. The truth was that our sin was vast. But the truth in love is that His mercy was so much more. And truth and love, they meet most clearly in the person of Christ and in the work of Christ, and especially at the cross of Christ. At the cross, we see the horrible truth of what our sin deserves. What a wretched truth that is. But there we see the beautiful truth of Christ's love, His compassion. His willingness to take our punishment for us, to save us. At the cross we see we are far more sinful and hopeless than we ever dared think. We all think we're pretty good. We can do some good. At the cross we see we can't. But yet there, at the cross, we see that we are far more loved, that God is far more compassionate and forgiving than we would ever dare hope. More compassionate and gracious than we could ever imagine. So much more willing to forgive to give grace, saving grace, equipping grace every day. On the cross, we see the truth in love. This God cares for us, that he is on our side, that he is our victorious king. Christ absolutely loves us, and he pours out grace upon us, not just saving grace for eternity, though we have that as well, but he gives us equipping grace each day. And let's remember that as we struggle to be parents, as we struggle to be office bearers, as we struggle to be Christians, as we struggle to be friends, Jesus is on our side, and if He is for us, who can be against us? So, office bearers who are about to be ordained as well, and every single member here, let's look to the truth and love of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Christ crucified every day, this Christ raised and ascended and triumphant, this Christ pouring out grifts upon us. Because in Christ we see the standard, the goal of our growth, in a life worthy of him. And yet in comparison to him, we know we're just kids. But with Christ as our head, we're going to grow up. Because Christ is the standard, he's the goal. Christ is the one who each day gives the gifts. And thankfully we work, but Christ uses our imperfect work, and he gives the growth. Let's look to Christ each day and grow up. Amen. Uh, let's sing together in response, hymn 49, stanzas 1 and 2. proceed to the ordination of office bearers. We'll read the form that you can find on page 624 of your book of praise. The consistory has now twice published the names of the brothers who were elected and appointed to the office of elder and deacon in this church to learn if anyone had objections to their ordination. Since no one has brought forward anything lawful against their doctrine and life, we shall now in the name of the Lord proceed to their ordination Let us first hear what Holy Scripture teaches us about the offices of elders and deacons. Already in the old dispensation, the people of God enjoyed the leadership and guidance of elders. The Lord told Moses to gather the elders of Israel together in Egypt and to inform them of his promises to deliver them from bondage. While these elders were with Moses in the desert, the Lord told him to select from their midst 70 men to bear the burden of the people with him. Together with Moses, these elders had authority to command the people. At the end of his ministry, Moses gave all the elders of Israel the law to rule God's people. Once in the Promised Land, these elders fulfilled their calling in every city. In his unceasing care for his flock, the Good Shepherd calls apostles to be the foundation of his Catholic Church. The apostles, in turn, appointed elders in every church with the cooperation of the congregation Apostles and elders gathered together to take decisions to which the churches had to submit. Paul charged the overseers to take heed to the flock in which the Holy Spirit had made them guardians. Peter admonished the elders to be shepherds of God's flock that is under their care. In his epistle to the Philippians, the apostle Paul addressed the saints together with the overseers and deacons. In order that these offices might remain, He also gave his fellow workers detailed instructions for selecting brothers to these offices of overseers and deacons. He directed Titus to appoint elders in every town. The New Testament calls these office bearers not only presbyters or elders, but also bishops or overseers, as well as shepherds and guardians. The office of elder is, therefore, one of authority given by Christ elders are to fulfill their duties by reminding god's people uh, of his ordinances and by exercising discipline over the disobedient by caring for the flock and defending the sheep against the dangers that threaten them as for their mandate the task of elders is together with the ministers of the word to have supervision over christ's church that every member may conduct himself properly in doctrine and life according to the gospel for this purpose, they shall faithfully visit the members of the congregation in their homes to comfort, instruct, and admonish them with the word of God, reproving those who behave improperly. They shall exercise Christian discipline according to the command of Christ against those who show themselves unbelieving and ungodly and refuse to repent. They shall watch that the sacraments are not profaned. Second, being stewards of the house of God, they are to take care that in the congregation all things are done decently and in good order. For this purpose, they form, together with the minister of the word, the consistory of the church. Together, they shepherd God's flock that is under their care. They must prevent anyone from serving in the church without having been lawfully called. Third, it is their duty to assist the ministers of the word with good counsel and advice. They are also charged with the supervision over the doctrine and conduct of the fellow servants. They shall permit no strange teaching, so that in every respect the congregation is edified by the pure doctrine of the gospel." Therefore, they must watch diligently that no wolves enter the sheepfold of the good shepherd. To do their work uh, well as shepherds of God's flock, the overseers should train themselves in godliness and diligently search the scriptures, which are profitable in every respect, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Concerning the ministry of mercy assigned to the deacons, the Lord impressed upon his people Israel the obligation to show mercy to the needy. God repeatedly commanded that the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow might eat within their towns and be filled. In the old dispensation, the needy, and suffering were protected and provided for by God's fatherly love. His ordinances taught the covenant people to imitate that love as beloved children. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us the Father, came into the world to serve. In his mercy he fed the hungry, healed the sick, and showed compassion to the afflicted. Thus, he gave an example that his church should do likewise. The ministry of mercy, as assigned to the deacons, proceeds, therefore, from this love of our Savior. After the example of her Lord, the first Christian congregation took care that no one in her midst suffered want. To each was distributed according to need. Also today, the Lord calls on us to show hospitality, generosity, and mercy, so that the weak and needy may share abundantly in the joy of God's people. No one in the congregation of Christ may live uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty. For the sake of this service of love, Christ has given deacons to his church. When the apostles realized that they would have to give up preaching the word of God if they had to devote their full attention to the daily support of the needy, they assigned this duty to seven brothers chosen by the congregation. It is therefore the responsibility of the deacons to see the good progress of the service of charity in the church. They shall acquaint themselves with the existing needs and difficulties and exhort the members of Christ's body to show mercy. They shall gather and manage the offerings and distribute them in Christ's name according to need. They are called to encourage and comfort with the word of God those who receive the gifts of Christ's love. They shall promote with word and deed the unity and fellowship in the Holy Spirit which the congregation enjoys at the table of the Lord. In this way, God's children will increase in love to one another and to all men. I now like to invite up uh, the elders who are being appointed to the office of deacon and elder. Beloved brothers you are about to enter upon your respective offices we request you to answer the following questions before God and his holy church first do you feel in sorry do you feel in your hearts that God himself through his congregation has called you to these offices second do you believe the old and new testament to be the only word of god and the complete doctrine of salvation do you reject all doctrines conflicting with it Third, do you promise to discharge faithfully the duties of your office and to adorn it with a godly life? You elders in the government of the church and you deacons in the ministry of mercy, do you also promise to submit to the discipline of the church in case you shall become delinquent in doctrine or life? <clears throat> Jaden, what is your answer? Andrew, what is your answer? Harry, what is your answer? Oh, Andrew, what is your answer? Sorry, out of order. Tony, what is your answer? And John, what is your answer? The Almighty God and Father grant you His grace that you may faithfully and fruitfully discharge your offices. Amen. Now let's sing together in response. Hymn 78, Senses 1, 2, and 3. You can go take your seat first if you would like. turn to the form for the final charge. You elders, as good shepherds of Christ's flock and faithful watchmen over the house of God, be diligent in governing the church, in comforting the distressed, in admonishing the wayward. Take heed that the congregation abide by the pure doctrine and lead a godly life. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You deacons, be faithful and diligent in the gathering of gifts and distribute them cheerfully to those who need assistance, especially to the widows and orphans. Do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. Support those who are burdened with cares or who are lonely giving your ministry of mercy a good example to the congregation of the service to which all are called by Christ Jesus. Be all with one accord faithful in your offices. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. If you serve well, you will gain a good standing for yourselves. Always have great confidence in the faith which is in Christ Jesus, and finally enter into the joy of your master. On the other hand, beloved brothers and sisters, receive these men as servants of God. Respect the overseers who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Take care that the deacons have sufficient means to fulfill their ministry. Be good stewards of all that the Lord has entrusted to you. Remember Christ, your example, in serving the church of God. Since, of course, we are unable ourselves to do all of this, let's call upon the Lord our God. And in our prayer, uh, we'll remember some needs in our congregation. Uh, First of all, we'll remember the family of Bert Kloss. Uh, The Lord called Bert home to himself this past week. And so we'll remember his wife and his children and uh, grandchildren and his friends as well. We'll also remember uh, Greta and Bill Veldkamp. Uh, We're thankful that the Lord answered our prayers and sustained Greta during her surgery, uh, but she's still recovering in hospital, and so we'll pray uh, for that as well. And finally, we'll give thanks to God uh, that he answered other prayers as well, and that Kevin and Michelle Canis were blessed with a healthy baby boy last week Sunday. So we'll pray uh, the prayer from the forum and then proceed into our own congregational prayer as well. Let's pray together. Lord God and Heavenly Father, it pleases you for the edification and upbuilding and growth of your church to ordain overseers and deacons besides the ministers of the world. We thank you that you give us men who are endowed with your Holy Spirit. Grant them more and more the gifts that they need, wisdom, courage, discretion, and mercy, so that each of them may fulfill his office as is pleasing to you. Give your grace to both elders and deacons, that they may persevere in faithful service without being hindered by trouble and sorrow or by persecution of the world. Grant that this congregation, over whom you have set them, may submit willingly to the good exhortation of the overseers and esteem them in love because of their work. Give us ardent love for each other. Grant that we may cheerfully provide the deacons with sufficient means so that the needy may be liberally supplied." We pray that by the faithful service of everyone in the kingdom of your Son, uh, that the kingdom of your Son may come and your name be glorified. We ask that you'll continue to pour out your gifts graciously as our victorious, conquering King. Lord, we're so thankful for the gift of perfection, the gift of uh, salvation in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that we can come to you each day for equipping grace as well. Lord, continue to equip all the leaders of your church, whether it be in this local church here or in other local churches as well. We ask that you'll give them the wisdom that they need. We ask that you'll fill them with your Holy Spirit. And we ask also that you'll bless them as they seek to equip the rest of your saints for the work of ministry. Help us to all uh, desire to both serve and be served in the church. Lord, thank you for the many gifts you've poured out on so many members. Thank you for the many ways that these members are busy serving you faithfully. Please continue to give us eyes to see where there are needs in the congregation. And then give us hearts to serve. Give us all the gifts necessary to fill these needs where they arise. Lord, we ask that you'll continue to supply the needs for those in particular who are struggling or grieving. Lord, we think this week especially of the Kloss family. Uh, They have to deal with the difficult death uh, of a grandfather, a father, a husband, and a friend. And Lord, we're we're so thankful uh, that uh, our our brother has been called home to you. We're so thankful that he gets to experience perfect joy. But Lord, our hearts go out to the family who does not yet get to experience this joy, but instead their sorrow has increased. Lord, we ask that you will be close to this family, that they'll feel your comfort and your support and your guidance and that they'll feel it, uh, not just from you, but from all of us, uh, as we all are filled with love and a desire uh, to serve uh, those who need comfort, and those who need uh, help, and those who need uh, to be supported in so many different ways. We think of this also for uh, Bill and Greta. Lord, we're so thankful that you heard our prayer, and that you answered us and that you did sustain uh, Greta during her surgery. But we ask now that you'll grant her a speedy recovery and that you'll equip the rest of the congregation for works of service for Bill and Greta too. And finally, we also thank you for answering our prayers with regard to Michelle and Kevin, that they could have a a healthy baby boy named Lincoln. Lord, we ask that you'll continue to equip each and every one of us, that we can supply all these members and more, uh, all of their needs, that you'll work powerfully through us each week again, that we can all work together to be built up ourselves by your word and spirit, but to build up others as well. To constantly point them to Jesus Christ and him crucified. For there we have comfort. There we have hope. There we have strength, even in our weakness. And it's in his name alone that we pray. Amen. At this point in our worship service, we have an opportunity to give our gifts to the Lord who's given so generously to us. And the offering for this week is once again for Mission Aid Brazil for the needy and for the spread of the gospel in Brazil. And after our collection, we'll sing together a hymn 40, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. We'll proceed to the blessing, but after that, please hang tight in your seats for a minute, and someone will come up to present the uh, incoming office bearers with a gift uh, from the council. Brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts and go home in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.
2: Could I ask the brothers to come forward for a moment, please? I was going to stand up here and encourage you all to grow up, but I thought that would turn into a height thing, so we'll just keep this short. Um, Certainly our encouragement to all of you uh, six brothers is that you'd recognize that the Lord's grace is sufficient for each of you. We know and we can trust that he does equip And provide for faithful execution of the tasks that he's entrusted to us Uh, and so we do pray with and for you that you would continue to be busy in his word be busy in prayer and so recognize his provision for you but aside from that we also want to give you a gift Uh, and the gift is the book that we've been working through uh, in council i believe most of you don't have that book if you have that book already you can re-gift it to somebody else Um, and it's been a while since I've gotten to assign homework to anybody, Uh, and so uh, do next class or next council meeting, I suppose, uh, Chapter 11, so please have that read by then. Uh, To come, wish the brothers the Lord's blessings and strength. You're welcome to do that as well right now.